Hey, the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails, and with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers and with available features like the panoramic moonroof. You can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. Visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. If you're like me, it's now the end of the day, and you say, "Uh uh-oh, what are we going to have for dinner? Well, here's the solution. Eating better is easy with Factors Delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes. You're going to have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Flexible for your schedule, get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries at any time. Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. Sign up and save. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive then take out and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. What are you waiting for? Get started today and get after your goals. Head to factormeals.com slash smirconish50 and use code smirconish50 because you'll get 50% off. That's code smirconish50 at factormeals.com slash smirconish50. Get your 50% off. Hi, it's Michael Smirkanish. Welcome to Book Club with Michael Smirkanish, a collection of Michael's favorite interviews with authors from the last 30 years through today, on the air, on radio. What sets my book club apart is that I actually read the books. Book Club is now in session. It's 1985. The scene is Geneva. Ronald Reagan is about to sit down with Mikhail Gorbachev. And, uh, well, tragedy strikes. Tragedy strikes before the two of them ever get together, and it has to do with goldfish. Joe Petro, I love your book. And I, I would never say it if I didn't. I'd just say to you, hey, how you doing? How are you doing? I'm doing great. What doing happened great. with the goldfish? Super Bowl week. Uh, well, the goldfish <clears throat> was an interesting story. We uh, arranged for the president to stay at this, uh, at this uh, chateau in, uh, in Geneva. And the, uh, uh, the owner had two young children, and the one had pet goldfish in his bedroom, the young boy. And uh, the president promised to take care of the goldfish while he was using the house for three or four days that we were there. Of course, the, f- the first morning after we arrived, he goes in to feed the goldfish, and there's a, he's belly up. Got a floater. <laughs> he got a floater. <laughs> so he, the president was devastated. And, uh, you know, here's his first responsibility, you know, was to take care of these goldfish. So he uh, arranged for uh, someone on the staff to go out and find a similar-looking goldfish 
and bring it in and, and replace it. Uh, he eventually told the boy that it had died. He was honest about it. He couldn't lie about That's it. That's Reagan, uh, right? He couldn't lie about it. The book it. is called Standing Next to History. The man's name is Joseph Petro. He's not only a former uh, uh, Temple University football star, but uh, part of the protective detail of the United States Secret Service for Ronald Reagan and others. While I'm, um, I love it. Look, look how tabbed, thumbed up. I've, I've, I've got everything checked that I want to quickly go over with, with Joe Petro. Let's stick with Geneva and Gorbachev and Reagan. I want to read a paragraph of your, uh, of your book, and then you, you flesh it out. The cabana was ready for them with a blazing fire in the hearth, two large, comfortable chairs facing each other, a small table in between them, and a seat just behind that for the interpreter. A steward was standing at the open door with a tray of coffee. The president and the general secretary took their coffee, walked into the room, and sat down in the large leather armchairs, and then the interpreter sat down facing them. I was standing inside with the KGB guy waiting for him to leave while everyone else was outside. But the KGB guy didn't step outside, so you did what? I I said, if he's not leaving, I'm not leaving. And you were in the room. Well, he probably looked at me and said, if, if he's he doesn't leaving, leave, I'm, I'm not, not going to leave. Right. So it was, a, it was a, uh, a high noon standoff, and we just both stayed there. So, uh, I mean, talk about, Joe, the ultimate fly-on-the-wall experience. You're there while Ronald Reagan is having this momentous meeting with Mikhail Gorbachev. Well, people weren't sure how momentous it was going to be. There was a quite deal of nervousness about the two of them getting together for the first time. You know, Reagan had been pretty vocal about his his feelings on the Soviet Union, and Gorbachev was kind of new in the position, although much younger than any of the the previous uh, uh, general secretaries and, and certainly a new generation of leaders for the Soviet Union. Ronald Reagan had written a letter. He had written a letter uh, to the general secretary, which he I remember he had in his coat. And when we when he sat down, he took it out and handed it to to the general secretary. But it, I think it, the, the the meeting transcended the the business. It it really became a personal the the personal chemistry between the two became very obvious in the first five minutes. There was also I made reference to this earlier in the week uh, in in promoting the fact that you'd be joining me the the, the overcoat. Story. Oh, the overcoat. Would story. you tell that? Well, it was extremely cold in Geneva that that November. Uh, it was unseasonably cold. It was about seven or eight degrees uh, Fahrenheit, uh, and uh, the general the first meeting was going to be at our location at our chateau. And uh, the general secretary was on his way to the chateau. The president was obviously going to go outside and greet him at the door on the porch, and uh, was going to wear an overcoat because it was very cold. And there was a discussion beforehand about whether what the what the general secretary would be wearing. If what they didn't want to happen was the president out there in a big heavy overcoat, and the general secretary gets out this young, you know, vibrant person in just a sport in just his suit jacket, it would look it wouldn't look good, and it would make the president look old and feeble. Uh, and that's why Ronald Reagan. So Ronald wore- Reagan just made the decision. Uh, in fact, I, he asked, "What do you think the general secretary is going to be wearing?" We didn't know because he, had, he was coming from the Soviet mission. Nobody knew what he was wearing. Uh, so the decision, he made the decision to take off his coat and step outside, and, and uh, it was a brilliant move because when the general secretary got out of the car in this big Russian overcoat and a hat and a big scarf, uh, and there was the president in his blue suit looking like a million dollars, he looked 30 years younger. One of the things that becomes clear in Joe Petro's book is, is your fondness. I, I Love might be too strong of a word, but certainly your respect for Ronald Reagan. This, I mean, this was a guy you were thrilled to protect. Well, he he was uh, in private like he was in public. He was very personable, uh, comfortable to be around. Made you made made you made everyone feel the same. I mean, he treated world leaders just like he treated us. Uh, he was he treated everyone exactly the like, and you you had to respect that. 
Uh, he was uh, he was genuine. I, I loved the portrait that you paint of Ronald Reagan on the ranch. Guy must have really loved the outdoors, and I guess it, it, it improved your ability to get on a horse yourself. Yes, very much so. Um, one day the phone rings and it's Nancy Reagan, and, and I guess it's what Ronnie's birthday. Oh no, this oh this was back in Washington. Yeah, yes, uh, it was actually her birthday. Oh, okay. And we were at Camp David that weekend, and on the way back on the helicopter, she said to me, I'd like to see you when we get back to the White House, and I wasn't sure what that was going to be right. about. Could be the woodshed. Could be the, you know, you're fired or something. <laughs> uh, so we got back to the White House, and that's a big event, you know, when the president lands and the press is there. So we went upstairs, and she, she took me aside, and she said, you know, I knew her birthday was that weekend. It was a Sunday, about 2 o'clock in the afternoon. She said that uh, the president and and uh, Mrs. Reagan and she were going to go to uh, dinner that night with friends of theirs, the Wicks, who were um, he was uh, I think head of radio for Europe at the time, but they were very, very good friends from California. And she said, "I want to go, and I want to go without anyone else. I want it to be private, no press, staff, you know, all the trappings that normally att- accompany them." So that was kind of a big challenge to pull that off. Uh, I we. We, I went over to the Jockey Club that afternoon. Uh, in the Ritz-Carlton. The Ritz-Carlton on Massachusetts Avenue. Met, met with a maitre d' and asked him if he, if he had a reservation for the Wicks. And he said, yes. I said, do you know who the other two people are? He said, no. <laughs> I said, sit down. We're going to talk. <laughs> <laughs> and he was wonderful. He, you know, I was, we, were, we didn't want this to get out. Right. Because that would, that would kill the deal. We so you say it. to him, the, the other guests are the president, president and Mrs. first lady. <laughs> yes. And he, you know, the he was surprised, uh, but I said, you know, this cannot get out. If it gets out, we're not coming. Uh, he was very discreet about it, and and the evening turned out to be perfect. I mean, we never took any chances on his protection. I mean, we I did all the things that were necessary, but everything was sort of staged around the jockey club, but nobody could see it. And there was hell to pay for you later because certain well, folks at the White House said, hey, Joe, you should have dealt us in on that. Well, the deal was at the White House under the Reagan administration, Larry Speaks had worked out the deal with the, with the press corps, with the White House press corps, that the president would never leave the White House without the protective pool. They call it the protective pool. It's about 12 people. And um, so we violated that. And I was uh, called late that night by Larry and, and, and reminded that I had violated it. You, uh, you you protected not only uh, Ronald Reagan, you protected others, in, including Nelson Rockefeller, who was uh, vice president of the United States at the time. Uh, Rocky didn't know quite how to reach the White House. <laughs> well, he, he wasn't... Uh, Where were you when we this were, happened? It is his home in, uh, in, uh, in uh, Georgetown. He had a beautiful estate in Georgetown, which he owned for... Uh, bought it back in the 20s, late 20s, early 30s. He he had his regular telephone. He was used to using his own phone. He, phone. he had a White House phone there but never used it. So he, he picked up the phone one night and called the White House on the general administrative number, which he'd get out of the phone book. Right. And, of course, the operator answers the phone the White House. He said, I want to speak to the president. This is the vice president. And she said, sure, <laughs> and I'm the queen of England. I'm the phone uh, so we eventually got him on the right phone. I want to talk to Joe Petro about, unfortunately, the pope is in ill health as we speak. You, you protected the pope. I mean, you know, it's interesting to me. It occurs to me that you protected two, uh, I mean, the most two well-known individuals shortly after both had had survived assassination attempts. That's correct. Uh, the book is fabulous. When I interviewed him last time, everybody sent me emails. What's the name? What's the name? I'm telling you right now. Standing next to history. This is the Book Club with Michael Smirconish podcast from Sirius XM. Listen to Michael live weekdays on POTUS.
Sirius XM Channel 124, and on the SXM app. The book is fabulous. When I interviewed him last time, everybody sent me emails. What's the name? What's the I'm telling you right now. Standing next to history, he is the only man that I've ever met who has told the Pope what to do. <laughs> How did you do that? Well, that was, I, I, it, was, uh, it was really circumstantial. We were in, uh, this was his uh, 1987 trip. You remember he was in Philadelphia in 1979. Right. This was Logan in, Circle. Yeah, this was 1987. He did uh, nine cities. Our first city was Miami. And uh, we had a huge outdoor mass there. And, and uh, as the weather in Miami often is, the, a storm started rolling in on us. And uh, the, the, this, this, the altar was enormous. There were 250,000 people there. Uh, and they had these huge uh, canvas sails in, in an arrangement around the altar held by cables. And we were told by the architects that it was only stressed to 35 miles an hour. The storm was coming in. We were, they were predicting 45 to 50-mile-an-hour winds. We were very concerned about, the, about the, the, the integrity of the stage. So uh, as he was giving his homily, we made the decision, and I talked to the Vatican people, that we were going to take him off the altar because this storm it was pouring rain by now. And the lightning was beginning to strike. So we uh, made the decision, and as he was finished his homily, myself and one other agent began to climb the steps, of, you know, five or six steps to his chair. He was sitting in the chair, and he looked at me, and I looked at him, <laughs> and I gave him a f- sort of my finger saying, come Careful with, there, Joe. Come, come with me. <laughs> right, you know, okay. I, yeah, I said, yeah. come with me, uh, indicating I wanted him to come with me. And he, I could see him contemplating for a second because he had never stopped a mass before in, in midstream. And, uh, but he stood up, and I knew I had him. And we walked him off the off the altar. Uh, it was the first time in his life, and maybe ever, maybe since uh, that he ever stopped a mass. Joe uh, Petro is a former United States Secret Service agent. He's also a, a Philly guy. I guess actually a Lehigh Valley guy. Went to grew right. up in Allentown. Grew up went in, to Temple University. Went to Temple and joined uh, the Secret Service and uh, protected Ronald Reagan and, and a whole host of others. Joe, how did you? I love this book. How did you get to write it? Did it have to be vetted? Not not officially. I uh, I wrote it carefully because I knew uh, I, I did not want to do two things. I didn't want to violate uh, any protective procedures the Secret Service uses, and I didn't want to violate the relationship we have with the people we protect, the, the privacy uh, uh, issue, which is very important to the service. So I wrote it with a good friend of mine who also went to Temple University, uh, Jeff Robinson, and we did it uh, very carefully. And then I had four agents uh, – two ex-directors and uh, good friends of mine and two other agents read the book to make sure I, di- I didn't miss anything. And uh, so I vetted it with them, and I, and I showed it to the current director, and he read it and was fine with it. So I, I, I think there was a story to tell here, and, you know, so much goes on behind the scenes that people don't know. People have a stereotype or sort of simplistic image of an agent uh, you know, with the sunglasses and the and the and the earpiece, sort of just walking along the car. Well, so much more goes on, and I wanted to explain, without compromising anything, what goes on uh, really at the White House and when the and, president and, travels. Uh, one more story is all that we have time for with with Joe Petro, our, our guest. It's August eight. It's nineteen seventy four. Seven thirty at night. There's a lot going on in the world, and you're caught up in the middle of it. Lay it out. Well, we were so close to it all. This was the night that Nixon uh, was was planning to give his speech, which everyone anticipated would be his resignation. And I was with Vice President Ford that night. We were uh, actually leaving the White House about seven thirty. I was in the elevator in the old executive office building where his office was. I was an intern on the second so floor. You know where yeah, it is. Yeah, I and do. so I'm in the elevator coming down to the to the basement to get to the cars. And uh, I had just joined the detail. About I was there about six weeks and had not yet formally met 
the vice president, and I was in the elevator with one other agent, and he turned to me, and in the midst of all that was going on, I mean, the the electricity in the air was unbelievable, and Ford was going to become president in two hours or an hour and a half. You knew that. Well, we all knew. Yes, we knew it was a resignation. And um, he turned to me and he said, I haven't met you yet. And he introduced, we introduced each other. And I thought to myself as we got in the car, I, I thought this man had the presence of mind to turn to me and introduce himself in, in the middle of, of, uh, of all that was going on. It speaks quite, speaks very well. And I, I've, I've, you know, he's on the board of directors of the company I work for at Citigroup. And so I see him pretty regularly. Is that what you do now? I work for Citigroup in New, in New York, yes. Joe, I love it. You can tell I love it. I, I was... A vice presidential advance man in my twenties for Herbert Walker Bush, it's a and great so job. yeah, right. it really. And, and, and as I told you during the commercial break, they paid me. They didn't pay me at all except a per diem of fifty bucks a day for food. But I was I was essentially a college student. I could eat five dollars, you know, worth of food in pocket forty five. So I was in my mind, I was getting paid. And uh, although I was the lowest man on the totem pole, time of my life. Great, it's a great experience to do that. I love yes. your book. Thank you. I, I love your book. It's called Standing Next to History, Joseph Petro. Uh, Eagles prediction? What else? <laughs> <laughs> There's only one prediction. A man who played quarterback for uh, for Temple and almost for the Eagle. How long were you at camp? Six weeks. Six weeks. Not all, there aren't a lot of highlight films, though. No. So, well, we uh, asked Didinger at NFL. Yeah, I, I remember him from college. He didn't have anything right. on you. Yeah. Thanks for being in here. Thank you. Hear more of Michael Smirconish on Sirius XM's POTUS Channel 124. Live weekdays from 9 a.m. to noon east or anytime on the Sirius XM app. Connect with Michael on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and at Smirconish.com. Book Club with Michael Smirconish. New episodes drop Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee. Meet Stacy. Stacy's on the hunt for a new pair of trendy glasses. Call me picky, but I just can't find the one. Luckily for Stacy, Walmart Vision has virtual try-on. Now she can try on hundreds of frames virtually, then upload her prescription and get new glasses delivered right to her door. Really? <laughs> yeah, really. Well, the hunt just took a turn for the better. Buy your next pair of glasses with virtual try-on from Walmart. Welcome to Easy Eye Care. Welcome to your Walmart. Restrictions apply. See walmart.com for details.